0: You're listening to The Quince Podcast.
1: It's been a year since India went into a complete lockdown to combat COVID-19. Lacks of Indians since have lost their lives, their loved ones, health, social circles, and we all lost our daily routine. It's been a year of exercising at home, tanning tables becoming the new classroom and workstations and adopting new terms like social distancing and herd immunity in our vocabulary. Though the lockdown was taken as a public health measure, it also showed us the reality of our public healthcare system and the growing inequalities in India. With the exodus of thousands of migrant workers walking hundreds of kilometres back home, local businesses and industries shutting down and billionaires still managing to increase their wealth during all the turmoil. As we still assess whether the lockdown was a success or a failure, a year after its announcement, the COVID-19 threat is far from over as India is witnessing a steady uptick of cases across the country in just the last two weeks, indicating that we are in, in fact, a quote unquote second wave. A total of 40,715 fresh cases were reported in the last 24 hours across the country to add to the tally of 1 crore 16 lakh 86,796. It has been a year of calculated risk for many, thus it is critical to look at not just what the lockdown did to prevent the spread of COVID-19, but also evaluate where we went wrong. So in today's episode, we'll go through how India has tackled the virus in this past year, the COVID-19 situation right now, and the road ahead. To discuss the year in lockdown for today's episode, I spoke with Dr. K. Srinash Reddy, a cardiologist, an epidemiologist and the President of the Public Health Foundation of India you tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you and I'm your host, Immat. While the Janta curfew on 22nd March 2020 may have given us a glimpse of the year ahead, India was not prepared for a total lockdown, especially the healthcare sector. Now, one of the direct health-related consequences of the lockdown has been the lack of timely healthcare hospitals and healthcare workers across the country were overburdened for months to combat an unknown virus without any weapons. We also witnessed the denial of healthcare during the lockdown, which went hand in hand with inequality and discrimination. Headlines of hospitals in Delhi charging at least Rs 75,000 a day for ICU beds to Muslim majority areas being targeted and blamed for the spread of the virus in the wake of the Tablighi Jamal congregation, which took place in the capital. And the scale of the disruption of healthcare was even more than we estimated during the initial months of lockdown. According to an India span report, April 2020 saw a higher fall in immunization, maternal health interventions and treatments, leading to long-term health effects for many. As the lockdown eased, people's mobility and mingling increased rapidly, which let the virus travel more. Fortunately, the awareness of the virus also spread. Our vocabulary now included words like asymptomatic and super-spreader events. Amitabh Bachchan's voice famously greeted our phone calls as a public health advisory for wearing masks and adhering to social distancing when out in public. While several cities and states declared victory several times over the virus, India did witness a slump in cases. The doubling rate was low, especially in cities like Pune, Delhi and Mumbai, and public complacency and laxity gripped the nation in the month of January 2021. But just in the last few weeks, states like Maharashtra and Punjab are breaking their daily case spike records especially Maharashtra, which registered over 30,000 cases a day on 21st March. There are critical lessons for both the centre and the public to learn from nine months of lockdown that the country was in. According to Dr. K. Srinath Reddy, who is the President of the Public Health Foundation of India, the focus needs to be realigned to having a people-partnered public health system, especially for a country like India, which has a vast population.
0: Firstly, we need people-partnered public health. You cannot really enforce public health measures across a huge country with a vast population entirely as a top-down administrative measure. You need people to overcome their fears, their anxieties, the stigma, the phobias, and participate willingly and earnestly in all public health measures. So whether it is ensuring that they wear masks properly, first they must wear masks, and they must wear it properly, uh, covering the nose as well as the mouth. Mm. And secondly, they must ensure that when they're outside their homes, they must try and maintain physical distancing as far as practically possible and avoid large crowds, especially in indoor locations. So Mm. if you're a brisk walker in a marketplace, the problem is much less but if you are staying together with a large number of people static, even in an open place, like in a political rally or a religious congregation, then the risk is much more. But in a closed, ill-ventilated area, the risk gets even further compounded and you get super spreader events from even such uh, uh, gatherings now. So people will have to avoid the temptation of gathering in large crowds, whether for political, religious or personal celebrations, like birthday parties and weddings, they have to maintain that discipline both at the personal level and as a group of people. That is absolutely important.
1: India will soon be starting its third phase of COVID-19 inoculations from 1st April, where anyone above the age of 45 is now eligible for the vaccine. In the first phase, primary healthcare workers and frontline workers were vaccinated, followed by anyone above the age of 60 and also 45 with comorbidities. Although vaccinating our at-risk population is essential, is the strategy of limiting the vaccine to age group in phases the right way to curb the spread of the virus? For a country like India, where 60% of the COVID cases are coming from five districts, most in the state like Maharashtra, should the centre concentrate its efforts in the worst affected districts first? Dr. Reddy Wazin.
0: First of all, let us see what is the main purpose of vaccination. Okay. With the kind of intramuscular injections that we have, which are producing systemic immunity, but not local mucosal immunity, we are not likely to prevent the infection of a person by the virus. In fact, the virus can infect and can stay in the nose or throat for some days. Mm -hmm. and may even get transmitted. What we are preventing is from that virus actually resulting in a severe infection. So we are protecting the individual who is vulnerable. And we are also trying to protect people who are performing essential functions on whom the society depends, whether for healthcare needs or security needs or municipal needs or transport needs, so that if they fall ill, we will have a problem that those functions will not be carried out for two weeks, three weeks or four weeks, even if they don't get desperately ill. So to ensure that the society is not deprived of those essential functions, we have one category of essentiality. The other is a vulnerability of people who, because of age or associated health conditions are much more likely to get very sick or even may die. Mm -hmm. So keeping that approach is the right approach, but if you have access to a large amount of vaccines, you have a huge amount of health workforce and other support staff who can give vaccines to a large number of people, then cover as much as possible. But coming to your question of whether we should have gone in for high intensity vaccination of districts which are much more affected, Mm -hmm. of course, that too can be done and should be done, depending upon your availability of supply. They are the ones where, I mean, those districts are the ones where the vulnerable people are at much more risk and even the essential workers are at much more risk. So you do saturate them, those districts as well. So both of these are not mutually exclusive because you don't know how the virus is spreading. We know that the virus is spreading even in an asymptomatic manner and we do not know whether it's going to be this district first or another district next. Of course we know that more urbanized areas, economically more developed areas with much more of mobility and travel are likely to be affected much more than the more rural areas and the less industrially developed areas. Certainly we can reapportion the vaccines uh, to some of the districts which are actually becoming hotspots. But nevertheless, keeping the broad umbrella of essentiality and vulnerability as the first uh, criteria, but then also having an additional element of highly concentrated approach towards some of the districts which are throwing up large numbers of cases, both of them can go hand in hand. And certainly as our vaccine availability increases, we ought to Mm -hmm. take that approach much more vigorously. The idea of bringing down the age group to 45 is that we know that in India, in particular, a very large number of people in the middle age and even younger ages have high levels of comorbidities, especially in urban areas, but also to some extent in rural areas, Mm -hmm. like high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. diabetes, coronary heart disease chronic respiratory disease and so on. Just let me give you a few stats. If you compare Mm -hmm. Italy, which has had a very high level of mortality at one stage, but also high infection rates even now, and look at the city of Delhi, in the age group of 40 to 49 years, Mm -hmm. the prevalence of hypertension is 10.7% in Italy. It is 40% in the city of Delhi. Oh, okay. In the age group of 50 to 59, it is 27% in Italy and 45% in Delhi.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you look at diabetes in the city of Delhi, a study conducted by colleagues in All India Institute of Medical Sciences, if you look at age group above 20 years, I'm talking about about 20 years, mm-hmm. the prevalence of diabetes in Delhi was 25.2%. And the prevalence of pre-diabetes, which is also a risk factor, especially for COVID, is 47.6%. So you have such huge amounts, which are three times more than in Italy in terms of diabetes. Mm -hmm. So even at a younger age group, our people are vulnerable and we must protect them. That is why bringing down the age group to 45 or even 40 would be a very wise thing to do because many of these people may not know that they have diabetes or hypertension, especially uh, people who are not very well-educated, who have not accessed health services, may not have been detected, and they're still at risk. So asking them to produce a medical certificate at the age of 45, to be eligible for a vaccine, doesn't really uh, work well. It's better to take the age as a criterion and, okay, you started with 60, now you're coming down to 45, which is a very good thing. So you're covering as many vulnerable people as possible.
1: The way in which cases have spiked in the past few weeks, the question on everyone's mind is, has the second wave started in India? In an interview with Quinn Fit, Dr Swapnil Parik, an internal medicine specialist, stated, and I quote, The rate of increasing cases is disturbing. And it's not just Maharashtra that needs to worry. We're looking at a situation that will impact the whole country since India does not have tight borders. End quote. Healthcare workers in India have fought the virus for a year. Dr. S.P. Kalantri, who is a medical superintendent of Kasturba Hospital and MGMIS in Vardha, stated in an interview with the Quinn that this time around, the rushed panic of the first wave has been replaced by fatigue and resignations at his hospital. With stretched resources, manpower and healthcare infrastructure, how equipped exactly is the Indian healthcare sector now compared to a year ago? Dr. Reddy Vasan.
0: We are far better prepared. Mm. Firstly, we, uh, at the time uh, in March, We did not have enough testing kits. We didn't have uh, personal protection equipment. Uh, We did not have, of course, uh, the knowledge that came in subsequently of what drugs work and what drugs don't work. And uh, certainly we did not have the vaccines handy. Uh, And uh, we did not know at that time that uh, ventilators are not really essential for most patients. A lot of people do well on just lying down on their belly, the proning or oxygen. Mm -hmm. We have learned so much, and we know that simple drugs like steroids help very sick patients. So we have learned a lot now, and we have better equipped with uh, even our medical equipment at this point in time. Our systems are much better in place. The center-state coordination is very well oiled in terms of its uh, planning, and uh, therefore, I think we are in a much, much better position. And we also know, for example, that time we did not know that masks are absolutely essential. In fact, there was advisory that people should not be wearing masks and leave it only Mm -hmm. for people in hospital. Now uh, we know about super spreader events. So we ought to utilize both the knowledge that we have gained and the technologies we have acquired to good effect in order to prevent that second spread. We are much better positioned now, provided we follow that discipline. And therefore we require both a combination of strategy as well as commitment uh, to the public health measures that we have. So I would suggest that we should actually enforce our public health measures like avoiding large political rallies, religious gatherings and uh, private celebrations like weddings and large scale, while at the same time increasing our vaccination effort to protect the vulnerable. And if we do that, over a sustained manner over the next few months, we will actually gain a fairly credible upper hand, uh, which may actually see the virus down. Uh, but we have to keep patient as well. And uh, if we start relaxing every time and go like a yo-yo from alarm uh, to laxity, then we are likely to see the virus repeatedly springing up again. Uh, I, if I may borrow an analogy, Mm-hmm. Uh, from dispatch cricket. I believe this is like a test cricket. So if you are facing a high score, what you do is build up a good strong partnership with one person playing strong defense, another person keeping the score going briskly so that you reduce the deficit. So you use your public health measures to mount the strong defense and you use your vaccines to reduce the vulnerability deficit. So it's only by that we'll be actually able to gain the victory.
1: It's been a year since the World Health Organization declared the novel coronavirus outbreak as a pandemic, and a year later, the virus is still persisting. India's COVID-19 tally went past 60 lakh on 28 September, 90 lakh on 20th November, and surpassed the 1 crore mark on 19 December. The tally currently stands over 1.1 crore, with over 1,60,166 dead. We already know what needs to be done to help curb the transmission of COVID-19. The real question is, will we step up? If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavon, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website and for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com.
0: Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quints website and check out our other podcasts.